Good morning and welcome on this rainy Martin Luther King Jr. Um, weekend. And uh, I was thinking about this today that may we continue to work to make Dr. King's dream of the beloved community a reality. And may his dream take root not only in our lives, but in our church and in our community and in our world. And uh, thanks so much, too, uh, to Eric and the rest of the team for starting with that great song, Majesty, who was written by uh, Pastor Jack Hayford, who passed away this last week, the uh, pastor for many years at Church on the Way, and uh, such a great, great classic song. When my wife Cindy and I both worked at Azusa Pacific, um, one of Cindy's jobs was to lead an etiquette dinner for business majors at the college. Since meals are an important part of doing business, um, it's important for graduates who go into the business world to know how to dress for a meal, which fork to use, what to do with their napkin, and if they accidentally drop it on the floor, and so on and so forth. And so every year, Cindy would put on a semi-formal dinner for senior business majors um, that included step-by-step etiquette instructions. Well, during that same time, um, I was teaching classes at APU for ministry majors who are preparing to become pastors and youth pastors and missionaries. And every year, my uh, good friend Cheryl and I would co-teach the senior internship class for um, all the seniors who are getting ready to graduate. And so one year, Cheryl and I decided um, that ministry majors could use an etiquette dinner experience as well. Well, let me just say that college ministry majors are a little bit different than college business majors. Um, When we told them the dinner was going to be semi-formal, some were scrambling just to find clothes to wear. One told me that he didn't have a shirt with a collar on it. Um, One youth ministry major showed up in board shorts and flip-flops. And many of our students were noticeably uncomfortable throughout the entire experience. Have you ever been to a meal like that? Where it was so formal that you felt stiff and uncomfortable. I've been to social events sometimes that that felt like a Downton Abbey episode where um, everybody seemed to have this unwritten script about what to do that no one bothered to share with me. In fact, a lot of people feel that way when they go to church for the first time. Well, we're in a series called Welcome to the Table. This is a seven-week series on the theme of hospitality from the book of Luke in the New Testament part of the Bible. Hospitality is an important part of living the Christian life. And by hospitality, I'm not primarily talking about inviting people over to our homes for dinner, although it can certainly include that. I'm talking about welcoming people to the table of our lives. Welcoming people that we don't know. Hospitality towards each other was a part of Dr. King's dream about how we treat people who are different than we are. How well do we welcome people to the table of our lives, to the table of our church, to the table of our communities? Last week, we started this series by looking at how Jesus' hometown of Nazareth welcomed Jesus as a guest. 
And we saw that at first they they rolled out the red carpet for Jesus, the native son who's done well for himself, who's finally come home. But after Jesus told them who he was welcoming to the table of his life, their hospitality turned to hostility. And they ended up driving him out of town and trying to throw him off a cliff. Well, today, from the seventh chapter of Luke, We're going to look at where to start, where to begin, as we seek to embody Jesus' hospitality in our lives. So if you're willing and able, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word from Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through verse 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman from that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's table. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and another 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered had not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You can be seated. Let me start by clearing up a common misconception about this story. About 600 years after the Bible was written, there was a leader in the church named Pope Gregory who claimed that the woman in this story was Mary Magdalene. And as some of you might know, if you've read much of the Bible, Mary Magdalene was one of Jesus' most devoted, committed followers. 
And ever since Pope Gregory made that claim, many Christians have assumed that this story is about Mary Magdalene and that Mary Magdalene was a reformed prostitute. But there is simply no biblical evidence that the woman in this story is Mary Magdalene or that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute for that matter. So let's look at this story as it actually appears in the text. A Pharisee named Simon invites Jesus over to his house for dinner. Now, meals were a really big deal back in first century Jewish culture. In an honor-based society like ancient Israel was, people were very conscious about who they would and would not eat a meal with. Most people wanted to eat meals with people who had more honor and status in the community than they had so they could bolster their own social capital in their community. And most people wanted to avoid sharing meals with people of lower social status because they were afraid it could damage their reputation in the community. Who you would and wouldn't share a table with reflected your location on the social hierarchy of that community. And Jesus, one of the things that made him so controversial is that he would eat a meal with anybody, regardless of whether they were at the top or the bottom of that social ladder. Now, we're told here that this man, Simon, was a Pharisee, and the Pharisees were a Jewish religious group that existed back then that focused on moral purity in their lives. Simon was near the top of the social ladder of his community as a religious leader, as a Pharisee. And Jesus had a lot of disagreements throughout his life with the Pharisees. But this Pharisee, Simon, is curious enough about Jesus to invite Jesus to come and share a meal with him and some of his Pharisee friends. Luke tells us in verse 36 that Simon and Jesus and the other guests were all reclining around a table for this meal. Now, that's a really important detail because back then, informal meals were eaten on the floor. Tables were reserved for formal banquets, public meals. So Luke is telling us that this was not just an informal gathering of Simon and a couple of his friends, that Simon is hosting a formal banquet with Jesus as the guest of honor and several of his friends joining this banquet. And the way people would sit at banquets back then was they would put couches around the table with cushions on them and people would kneel down on a couch without a back with their feet behind them, leaning on their left elbow, freeing their right hand to eat. Sorry if you're left-handed. Now, I suspect that Simon went all out to prepare this banquet because meals were such public statements. Everything about a banquet was carefully scripted from the guest list to the seating arrangement, from the menu to how each guest was received when they came into the room. Banquets were often opportunities for leaders in a community to discuss and debate important subjects like theology and religion and politics and philosophy. 
And so Simon had probably invited Jesus to come to this formal dinner along with his friends so they could hear from Jesus himself about what he was teaching. And even though formal banquets took place in people's houses, they were considered public community events. It was entirely socially acceptable for uninvited guests to come inside the person's house so they could listen in on the conversation around the dinner table. But these uninvited guests were expected to remain silent and to stay away from the table so they didn't interfere with the meal service or the conversation. There was a clear line that divided invited guests who sat at the table, ate the food, and discussed ideas, and uninvited guests who could be there, but they had to be quiet, and they had to stay on the outer edges of the room. As Jesus eats with Simon and the other guests, a woman enters. And again, because this is a banquet, that would not be noteworthy in and of itself. There are probably other uninvited guests who were in the room as well listening in. But Luke tells us in verse 37 that this particular woman had a reputation, that she had lived a sinful life. And most Bible scholars assume that she was a prostitute of some kind. And in a small community like this was, everyone would know who she was and what she did for a living. In fact, the other people in the room probably started whispering to each other as soon as she walked in. Perhaps a few guests knew her better than they wanted the other guests to know. But instead of staying in the background with the other uninvited guests, she begins to make her way towards the table. Because Jesus would have been kneeling on this couch. His feet would have been behind him. She's clearly weeping as she approaches Jesus from behind. And as she cries, she wipes Jesus' feet with her tears and dries them with her hair. The sound of her crying and the boldness of her action probably interrupted the dinner conversation. Perhaps it even uh, disrupted the meal service. This was a significant breach of expected etiquette at a public banquet. She kisses his feet and then she pours perfume that she has brought along onto his feet because she has come prepared. Clearly, she came to this meal intending to do exactly what she did. And though her actions were certainly intimate, in ancient Jewish culture, there wasn't anything particularly uh, suggestive about what she did. What makes her actions so scandalous is her reputation and her breach of etiquette. And so Simon thinks to himself, if Jesus was really a prophet like everybody seems to think he is, he would know what kind of woman He's letting touch him. See, Pharisees like Simon and his friends were meticulous about keeping themselves free from even the appearance of sin. Every waking moment was focused on purity, avoiding any association with a sinful situation or with unsavory people. Situations like allowing a woman with a sinful reputation to touch you Pharisees actually refused to be alone with any women other than their wives. 
But Jesus not only knows all about this woman, he knows all about Simon too and what he's thinking. And so he says, sitting around the table, Simon, I have something to tell you. And Simon says, tell me, bring it on. And Jesus tells a story, a parable about a moneylender. Two people owe money to a moneylender. One owes 500 denarii, the other 50 denarii. Now, one denarius is the equivalent of one day's wage in the ancient world. So if we computed one day's wage as, say, $15 an hour for an eight-hour day, 50 denarii would be about $6,000, and 500 would be about $60,000 in our currency. Neither person in the story could afford to pay their debt. Now, back then, if you couldn't afford to pay a debt when the debt was called, you were thrown into jail until the debt was paid. Or you or one of your family members would have to become an indentured servant to the lender to work off your debt for pennies on the dollar until the debt was paid. Debtors were quite literally slaves of their lenders. But the moneylender in this parable is unlike any moneylender we've ever heard of because he unexpectedly forgives both debts. And then Jesus asks Simon, which person would love the moneylender more? And, and Simon correctly answers, the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. That's when Jesus brings Simon the Pharisee and this unnamed woman together in a conversation. Jesus turns around to face the woman. And then still talking to Simon, Jesus says, do you see her? Now, in a sense, Simon has been unable to take his eyes off of her because she's disrupted his carefully scripted and planned meal. By now, the fragrance from the perfume has probably filled the entire room. But Simon hasn't really seen her. He's seen her reputation, her appearance, He's seen her breach of etiquette, but he hasn't really seen her as a person, not really. And here we find another one of Luke's triangles of hospitality, like we talked about last week. And this observation comes from Brandon Burns' book on hospitality in the book of Luke. Like the triangle of hospitality we saw last week, Jesus is one point in the triangle. Jesus is the guest here, just like he was in Nazareth in chapter 4 of Luke. The other point in the triangle here is Simon, the host, the one who invited Jesus into his house, provided the meal, who's put on this banquet. And the third point on the triangle is this uninvited woman, this woman with this sinful past. This story is an interplay of hospitality between all three points of the triangle. Still looking at the woman, Jesus says to Simon, she's been a better host than Simon has. She's the one who's truly shown hospitality. See, it was considered hospitable for a host to provide water and a towel for guests to wash their feet when they came over to your house for a meal. Simon failed to do that, but this woman washed Jesus's feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. It was considered hospitable to greet each guest with a friendly kiss, which Simon had failed to do. But this woman 
kissed his feet as she washed them. It was considered hospitable for a host to anoint guests with oil when they arrived as a way of honoring them, which again, Simon had failed to do. But this woman anointed Jesus' feet, not just with oil, but with expensive perfume. And it's likely Simon didn't do these things because he was unsure about Jesus. He was ambivalent, curious, but he received him at his table with some indifference. A Bible scholar, Scott Spencer, in his commentary on Luke, he says this. He says, Simon had offered Jesus none of these gestures of hospitality, thereby snubbing Jesus and shaming himself as a bad host. Shockingly and embarrassingly for Simon, the uninvited woman steps into the breach created by Simon's lack of hospitality. Even though it was Simon's house, Simon's food, Simon's table. This uninvited woman with a sinful reputation was a better host than he was. So Jesus tells Simon that this woman's many sins have been forgiven. Now, he's not saying that she's forgiven because of what she did at the banquet. The the tense of the verb that Jesus uses in, in the original Greek suggests that her sins had already been forgiven before she even got to the banquet. And this implies that she had encountered Jesus before this meal. See, the love that she demonstrates in her hospitality to Jesus here is evidence that her sins have already been forgiven. Whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Whoever's been forgiven much loves much. And so Jesus finally now addresses the woman as he looks at her and says, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, ancient Judaism Only the temple priest could absolve a person of their sins. And that would happen just once a year in the annual Day of Atonement when a person would go to the temple and bring their annual sin offering. After they presented their sin offering each year, the priest would say, your sins are forgiven. But here's Jesus. He's not a priest. He's not in the temple. He says that her sins are forgiven. This is why Simon and the other guests start to murmur, who is this who can even forgive sins? Who indeed? The main idea I think we find in this story in Luke 7 is that Christian hospitality begins, it starts with welcoming Jesus into our lives. We are the host of our lives. And when we welcome Jesus to the table of our lives. That is where hospitality begins. We don't know how this woman encountered Jesus prior to Simon's banquet, but it changed her life. Her sins have been forgiven. She was given a fresh start. Authentic Christian hospitality starts here with welcoming Jesus into our lives. And when we do, Jesus welcomes us to his table, the table of God's hospitality. Her sins were many. Jesus does not minimize her sins, but they were all forgiven. Welcoming Jesus into our lives is where it starts. Now let's dig a little deeper into how this works. The foundation 
of hospitality is God's forgiveness. The foundation is God's forgiveness. Both Simon and this woman had sinned. Her sins may have been more public, maybe more scandalous than Simon's. As a Pharisee, Simon had probably learned how to keep his sins hidden, or perhaps he limited himself to more socially acceptable kinds of sin, like pride and greed and gossip. But both had sinned, both Simon and this woman, both you and I, because the Bible's verdict is that all have sinned. All fall short of God's glory. And the parable Jesus tells here pictures our sins as a debt that we owe. It's a debt that we keep making worse. Every time we disobey God, every time we hurt other people, we get deeper and deeper into the debt of sin. It's a debt that we could never repay. And this is why the Bible says that the wages of this debt is death. No matter how much or how little debt you've accumulated in your lifetime, each of us owes a debt we could never repay. Experiencing God's forgiveness of this debt is the foundation of hospitality. In Dietrich Bonhoeffer's classic little book, Life Together, he says that when a person is alone with their sin, that person is utterly alone. Listen listen to how Bonhoeffer describes it. He says, sin wants to be alone with you. It takes us away from community. The more lonely we become, the more destructive the power of sin becomes. The more deeply people become entangled in it, the more unholy their loneliness becomes. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light in the darkness of what is left unsaid. Sin poisons the whole person. Forgiveness is letting the light of God's grace through his son Jesus pierce into that darkness so we're not alone any longer. This is the foundation of hospitality. And if forgiveness of sins is the foundation, the work of hospitality is love. Sacrificial love is the work of hospitality. See, hospitality is not primarily about table settings or invitations or flowers. It's about showing love to people that we don't know very well. I love the way Henry Nowen talks about hospitality in his book, Reaching Out. He says that hospitality is creating free space where a stranger can become a friend. My my wife, Cindy, who has a gift of hospitality, likes to say that, that hospitality is giving people space to be themselves and say their stuff. Hospitality is a work of love, and it is work. It always costs us something. It costs us time. It risks reputation. Sometimes it costs us money and resources. This may have been Simon's house, Simon's food, Simon's table, Simon's guest list, but his indifference to Jesus prevented him from showing true hospitality. It took a woman who had much less than Simon had to welcome Jesus to the table. 
Love is the work of hospitality. And finally, the result of hospitality is peace. Peace is its result. Jesus' final words to this woman are, go in peace. And when I read that, I thought, where does Jesus expect her to go? She couldn't go back to her former way of life or her former community because her sins had been forgiven. Her life had been changed. But she couldn't join the community represented by the Pharisees sitting around the table. They would never get past her reputation. They would never be able to see past what she had been. I think Jesus' words here imply the existence of a community that he was creating community of the church, of his followers. Hospitality begins when we welcome Jesus into our lives. Until that happens, we won't be able to engage in true biblical hospitality as a spiritual practice because we all owe a debt, the debt of sin. And so the foundation is God's forgiveness. But then the work of hospitality is love out of gratitude for that forgiveness. And the result is peace, the peace we experience in community, the rest of God's people. Someone might say, well, this story isn't really about hospitality towards other people. It's about hospitality towards Jesus. But, you know, Jesus once said that the hospitality that we show others is actually hospitality offered to him. In Matthew chapter 10, he said, Inasmuch as you welcome others, you are welcoming me. It's an expression of our hospitality to Jesus to welcome others to the table of our lives. But it has to start with welcoming Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this story preserved in your word. And Lord, there's so much about this story that we don't know. Of what happened to Simon after this, what happened to this woman. And Father, we, we confess that, that so often we identify more with the woman than we identify with Simon, but far too often we're more like Simon than we are to the woman. And so Father, I pray that you would Find yourself at home in our lives. That like this woman, we would welcome you to the table of our lives. That we might be forgiven our debt, a debt that we could never repay. That we might become people who engage in the work of love, the work of hospitality and who experience peace with your people. God, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.